This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Dr. Ronald L. Mann provides individuals the tools to move beyond the limitations of body identification with the more limited definition of self that is defined by one's thoughts, feelings, emotions, and physicality. Being awake has a much more profound meaning than just getting up in the morning after a night's rest, drinking a cup of coffee, and getting started with your day's activities. It is realizing a more expanded state of self beyond the limited ego to a higher sense of self or the soul. Consciousness wants to evolve through us. We are all on a journey of returning to the source of love. On our way, we can either coast along with the current or use a paddle to speed our journey. We are all going home. Valeria Telles interviews Dr. Ronald Mann, the author of Sacred Healing, Integrating Spirituality with Psychotherapy. Dr. Mann has been helping people awaken their consciousness for over 40 years. His presence and depth of intuitive insight, along with his psychological training, give him a unique expertise in the field of spiritual development. Dr. Mann obtained a master's degree in educational psychology from the University of California, Santa Barbara in 1971 and a doctor of philosophy from the California School of Professional Psychology, Los Angeles in 1974. He obtained postgraduate training in executive coaching and organization development from the William James Institute of the Professional School of Psychology. He practiced as a licensed psychologist from 1976 to 2002. He has appeared on Fox Sports Networks, Fox Boston 25 Morning News, The Gary Collins Show, Good Morning America, and numerous radio interviews. Dr. Mann has written six books, including an L.A. Times bestseller, The Yoga of Golf, Bouncing Back, How to Recover When Life Knocks You Down, The Making of a Champion, Success is an Inconvenience, Learning to Win, The Coach's Guide for Mastering the Mental Game of Golf, and Bouncing Back, 2017 in Crisis, How to Prepare for and Recover from Life's Greatest Threats. He has also developed and produced a variety of audio programs for meditation, self-healing, and stress reduction. Meet Donald Ronald Mann at Ron Mann. 
www.lovefactoryinventory.com and lovefactoryinventory.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Ronald Mann. In your own words, who is Dr. Ronald Mann? Interesting question. <laughs> you know, in some way, I'm nobody. <laughs> if you look at it from a yogic per- perspective, uh, over the course of my life, I've done lots of things. I was a licensed clinical psychologist. I got out of that, went into the corporate world and did executive coaching, leadership development. I had a organization for world peace back in the 80s and went back and forth into the Soviet Union. And I've been a spiritual teacher, traveled all over the world, uh, teaching meditation and spiritual development, a student of Paramahansa Yogananda now for about 40 years, sports psychologist, working with golfers, and, uh, and a research scientist. But I have to say, you know, I'm nobody because anything that I've ever done that's any good comes from God. I'm an instrument and everything gets inspired. And when things work, I can feel that divine hand flowing through me. And when it comes to the idea of God, I usually ask this question to some of my guests, not all of them, when they mention the word God. What, who, and where is God, Ronald? Well, God can be anything to anybody. It's formless and it's everywhere. And you can believe whatever you want to believe. Religion is more around beliefs. Uh, I'm more around spiritual realization. If you feel a connection to all life, if you feel a, an overwhelming sense of love and joy and a level of peace and your life is dedicated to service, then I think you're working on your relationship with God. So it's not limited to an idea. It's not limited to a concept. It's not limited to a religion. Uh, God is known by many names And it's the experience of this uh, divine presence that I think is the most important thing. Getting to a topic that I love to talk about, which is using the same word to describe it, it's love. And I wanted to ask you this open question. What is love to you? How do we learn to recognize what love is? Well, I think that's a great question because most people are pretty confused. There's different kinds of love. There's human love, and then there's divine love. Human love often is more about attachment and desire. People fall in love and go, oh, this is so great. I'm going to get all my needs met. I'm going to get fulfilled. And it's more about what the other person is going to do for you. Or you have some idealized view of them. And as long as they fit into that, then you go, oh, I love you so much. But if something changes, then that love goes away. Divine love is unconditional, and it's selfless. It's, it's a presence, and it's very tangible. It's very substantial. It opens your heart, and it also gives you a lot of wisdom. And it gives you a way of being with people to where you can love them even when they're not fulfilling your needs or fulfilling your desires. So it's really a higher form of love. I wonder how it, it is possible to love unconditionally coming from conditions, 
for a conditioned mind and body. Everything seems to be conditioned here. It's true. It's a challenge. I mean, we learn it through our personal evolution. If we're committed to evolving at every level, psychologically and spiritually, that through spiritual practices, meditation, service, chanting, something happens where we begin to have a direct experience of our soul, which is different than our personality. And it's different than our mind. It's a quality of love that feels interconnected with everything. And we can develop that through spiritual practice and through the grace of, I can call it God, call it whatever you want. But there's a presence that comes in. It's like a gift. Uh, Although if you believe in karma, you've really earned it at some point. It comes in and it opens you up, uplifts you to a higher state. And the more you work at letting go, we were talking about this before we got on the air, the more you let go, the deeper you go. You know, you, you don't get this by trying and being controlling. You get it by trusting spirit, working on your attunement with spirit, and trusting that everything in life is a manifestation of that divine presence. Is presence an experience? I believe it is. It uh, is more than an idea. Idea, you can, someone will tell you something, go, oh, yes, I believe that. But if you haven't had any direct experience of it, it's kind of like blind faith. I think true faith is based on real life experience. And that presence, when it comes into your life, is undeniable. It's, it's not your imagination. It, one little moment of being in that divine presence can change your life forever. Can that be felt within the body, Ronald, that experience of presence, of divine presence? And if yes, in what ways, um, if you could describe uh, that? It comes usually as peace initially, uh, a peace that is beyond what people normally feel and it's not based on anything around you. Uh, it's also experienced in your body and in your heart as love. Uh, as it gets more uplifting, it turns into joy. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is you feel good because of something. You get a lot of money, you're happy. If you lose it, you're not happy. Right? Joy, you can be happy regardless of your circumstance. It's based on your inner realization, not on what's happening outside. I traveled to India a few times, and on one of my trips, I was in Kolkata, and I was shocked to look around. I'm on the street. People are living in cardboard boxes. They have nothing. And I look at them, and the amount of joy and love that is streaming out of their eyes, flowing towards me, was unbelievable. These people had nothing. So that was a spiritual reality for them. I'm not suggesting we live in that kind of way. I think there's a balance. But it shows that one can be in a state of joy regardless of their outer experience. Yeah, that really resonates with me because I tend to believe or to think or to feel that this, it's already fulfillment. Uh, To be here now talking to you, to be in a human body, this is a miracle. This is already everything. So from that space, it's, it's kind of 
it's easier actually to be happy or to be joyful, to feel this sense of peace that you're describing or the presence of the divine because it's, um, for some reason, it's already, it's, it acknowledges itself as being whole, as being complete. There's nothing missing. It's the most, I mean, amazing. If I don't know if that's an experience though. It's, I know that seems like a realization that's happening within the body, mind, somewhere. But it's not something that I looked for, too. So I wonder if this can be practiced, that we can learn to get to realize what life is and how wonderful it is to be here and the miracle of this. I believe you can learn how to develop that awareness on a more regular basis, and it comes from meditation. Meditation is a uh, process that teaches you how to uh, disengage from your mind so you're not identified with your thoughts and to have a realization of an inner presence, your soul, that lifts you beyond your emotions and beyond your ideas into the state of grace that is peaceful, loving, joyful, and the longer you meditate, and if you use good techniques, I've had people say, oh, I meditate. I meditate when I'm in the shower, or I meditate when I'm riding my bike. Well, you know, th those are good things to do. You know, it's good to take a shower, and it's good to ride a bike. But technically, it's not meditation. Meditation is about working with the subtle life force within you and drawing it up into your spine and to the higher centers of the brain. Meditation is something that I engaged in for a while, and then I dropped it. Meditation didn't come up anymore. So do you believe that at some point it's acknowledged that you're already, you are, like I tried to describe before, we already hold, this is already it, it's fulfillment. There's nothing needed anymore. There's no practices needed. It's my experience now. I don't have to practice to go back to that place. I'm already there. It's freedom. It's liberated already. Well, that state is within us. It's true. It's, it's our true nature. But not everybody can just experience it because they're, they're identified with their ego. And so there, there is a point in one's spiritual life where meditation and everyday life are the same. You just don't feel all that difference. And the meditation process and the techniques can help stabilize consciousness so it stays in that place 24-7, walking around. But uh, you're lucky and a little unusual in the sense that most people uh, still benefit from a meditative practice. Well, I believe in so many practices, and I practice so many things, <laughs> but they come naturally. They arise naturally. It's something like brushing the teeth, eating. I mean, it's just part of this, this experience of being in a human body. There's no longer trying to get somewhere to a destination or, or be anywhere or become anything. I mean, this is already amazing. It really surprised me that we can talk about it even. <laughs> How can we talk about this? Like, um, it's separated wholeness talking about, I mean, how can something separated talk about something that's not? We are separated, but not at the same time. So it's a fascinating dance <laughs> when, when I think about it. 
Well, you know, separation is an illusion because we're 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 not separate, right? And you and I can talk about it because we both have had the experience of this state of oneness and this connection. So there's a, a mutual understanding, and I would say a realization that these realms exist. This is almost wholeness talking to itself, isn't it? It's life talking exactly. to life. Yeah. <laughs> How fun. So talk to me for a moment about the love factor inventory assessment you provide, Ron. Yeah, thank you for asking. Many years ago, when I was practicing as a clinical psychologist, I already had my spiritual awakening and realized that love is a major issue that humanity needs to continue to deal with. So being a psychologist, I thought, well, is there some way to measure this and then create an assessment system that people can use for introspection and development? So I created a test called the Love Factor Inventory. I did a national research study, gave it to a couple thousand people across the United States and came up with scales, let's call them dimensions, that as a psychologist and, and a yogi, a spiritual guy, thought, well, these are important in our ability and our capacity to really engage with other people. Compassion, friendship, intimacy, a masculine-feminine realm, kind of Jungian notion, Primitive self, another Jungian concept about the uh, the shadow, kind of the, the darker elements within. One psychological adjustment, romantic love, self-respect, sensitivity, spirituality, and trust. And so, I was able to devise uh, a test at a whole statistical thing and came up with scales, and it's very accurate. So it and it and I have national norms so you can see where you score in relationship to the rest of the world uh, or at least my sample in the United States and I also believe there's a thought that I like and the thought is one's true spirituality is tested in the light of day and so what that means is that what you say is not as important as how you live People can say, oh, I'm very spiritual. And then you spend time with them and you find, you know, they're they're not very kind. They're competitive. uh, They're quick to anger. They're not very compassionate. So my my question became, well, you say you're very spiritual, but this is how you're behaving. What are you saying? What does this mean? So I looked at the instrument itself and it's just like compassion, friendship, self-respect, certainly spirituality, trust, those kinds of dimensions reflect how integrated our spiritual life is in our everyday life. So I love the test. Uh, It's available online at lovefactorinventory.com. And if you want, I can give your listeners a special discount off the price too. We can talk about that. And so uh, I brought it back into the world I uh, republished it with about six months ago because you just look around the world, we're, we're in trouble. There's a, a lot of conflict. People are separate. They are polarized. They're not very nice to each other. Critical thinking is gone. 
I thought anything I can do to help promote greater personal development, greater introspection, greater capacity to love and really be kind to each other, that that's what my life is about, is helping make the world a better place. So I republished this and I put it on the internet, which is easy to do these days. And so it's available. You, anyone can take it and get the results right there online. Uh, like I said, the, the normal fee is $99.95, but we can create a special discount code for your listeners and get 50% off if they want. I'll have the link on your podcast profile and also have that code. Uh, if you send okay. it to me, I'll have it there. Sure. Speaking of 2020 and all those events, do you connect the events in 2020 to spiritual evolution? Are they directly connected somehow? Well, I, I think it's it's another challenge for humanity. You know, we go through difficult times. God created the universe and there's duality. It's necessary to keep creation going. If it didn't have light, there wouldn't be darkness. So these things come up. I, I don't know that COVID came into the world to force people to grow spiritually, but I certainly believe that it's an opportunity to test your spirituality in everyday life and to see how do you respond? How do you engage? I mean, ju just the, the notion of either getting vaccinated or wearing a mask, some people go, oh, you're infringing on my right. You know, so I, I won't wear a mask. But what we're talking about by wearing a mask is that it's designed to protect other people around you. So you're not spreading uh, the COVID through your breath to the people around you. And so to me, it's a rather selfish thing to say, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do what I want because this is my life. It's my body. I'll do whatever I want, even if I put other people in jeopardy. So I think that brings into question of what are your values? I mean, how much do you care about uh, humanity? How much do you care about people? So the, the things we go through, it's happening in political parties, it's happening with the mental health, it's happening in the public health issue with COVID. Um, how we choose to respond makes a huge difference in terms of how we are going to progress uh, as a society. I mean, even if you look at climate change, people go, oh, I don't believe in climate change. And I'm not going to do anything if it makes my life more inconvenient. Well, the way the world is evolving, planet Earth is in jeopardy. So are we willing to make sacrifices and do what it takes? Uh, typically, it seems like there has to be a major catastrophe to get anybody to do anything. Right? Ideally, people would act from a higher place, see what's going on, and make a proactive decision to behave in a more responsible, loving way, not just with each other, but also with planet Earth. So true. And this has been happening now for centuries, right? The destruction of Earth and the lack of respect for ourselves, really. We have lost the way. I don't talk about systems here, but I know there are a lot of systems in place that keep those uh, destructive behaviors just cycling back. But I really hope that this is um, the beginning of a new age, a new way of being, a way of, of living this human experience. 
so, Ronald, I do have one more warm-up question for you. Let me ask you this one. How do you define true power? That's a great question uh, because it relates to a conversation I had in another podcast, but I won't get into that at the moment. A lot of people believe power comes from their own will, that they can do what they want or they can get what they want. They can coerce other people. You see a lot of that in the business world. I mean, Donald, Donald Trump's a good example of that. You know, it's like, I'll do what I want. You know, I'm the only guy who can fix this. So it's very egocentric. It's going me, 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 I, 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 I'm the only thing. Real power comes from the divine. Right? And when you learn how to get yourself your ego out of the way and attune with a divine presence, you can feel something flow through you that is real power. It can heal you. It can change your circumstance. It can change your weather. It can uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you know, bring positive vibrations into everyday life. And it's unlimited. God can do anything much beyond us. And the divine can work through us where it looks like we're doing it. But if we're really more evolved and we can feel it, we realize that this is the divine grace that's flowing through us, making it possible for something to happen. And I often wonder what drives us to lose that identification with this the ego, um, mine, because this is something that kind of challenges the foundation of who we believe we are. It's from my perspective, it seems like it's the only death really that exists, dying to our the sense of identity. Who looks for it? I didn't look to lose the identity. That was not something that I was looking for, but it somehow just kind of um, came to be this um, merging back with life and just letting it flow. So I wonder what drives us to really look, to lose the identity with the ego, Ronald. Do you have some ideas suffering? I I do. Blair, that's a great question. I mentioned karma before, and some of us, like you and I've had similar kind of experiences where these things just came to me. I wasn't actually trying anything, but we worked on ourselves somewhere, previous incarnation, and so... We reap the benefits in this life. So it was, it was divine grace that came in and opened this up. Uh, generally, that's not how people get there. More typically, you mentioned it's suffering. People get tired of the suffering. Like, I can't take it anymore. You, know, you, you see this in the recovery world. People have to bottom out until they finally realize that, you know, I am lost. There's nothing I can do. I am helpless on my own, and they surrender. And once they make that choice to get themselves out of the way, it opens up the possibility for that divine presence to show up and then lead them on a path of realization. And once I think someone realizes that there is a path, it is possible to evolve, that they go, okay, I'm going to get smart and try and practice this path, whatever their path may be, and deepen my attunement so I can learn how to be happy and healthy. When it comes to karma, for some reason, I guess I lost the grip with um, belief systems. 
like not really having any, but I'm sure I'm, this is by talking to you, using these words that it's coming from a belief system somehow, uh, conditioning, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Let's forget beliefs. Let's talk about energy and consciousness. Part, part, part of my realization when it first came to me was I saw everything as an energetic field and I saw thought, action, everything just as a vibration. And whatever went out came back. It was a circle. And so karma is just basically, you know, what the Bible says, what you sow, you sow, you shall reap. What you put out, it will come back to you. So whether it's this lifetime or another lifetime, it's a complete circle. And so our thoughts matter, our behavior matters. And as we put out loving vibrations in the world, we magnetize those kinds of experiences back to us. If we live where we're angry, jealous, greedy, or hurtful, ultimately, Karma has to be paid, right? And as those experiences unfold over lifetime sometimes, we have an opportunity to re-experience those things because now they're, they're happening to us and we learn from them, hopefully. Uh, you wrote many books, among them the Sacred Healing book, Integrating Spirituality with Psychotherapy. Talk to me for a moment about the main inspiration and intention of writing this book. I wrote this book because I was a licensed psychologist practicing psychology. I started working with terminally ill children, met Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and had a spiritual awakening in Maui. And so now I'm into healing, consciousness, energy, uh, changed the way I worked with people. And I saw that energy and consciousness are a quicker way to help people change than just talking about thoughts and feelings. So I wanted to share what I had learned with professionals as well as the lay public. So I, I wrote the book, Sacred Healing, Integrating Spirituality with Psychotherapy. And I talk about personal development. And I talk about it from kind of a psychological point of view, from psychotherapy. And I also talk a lot about consciousness and energy and, and healing at different levels in different ways. I talk about the yogic path and how that works. So it was my desire to try and share what I had learned uh, with other people. In that book, you say many things. I have some paragraphs here, passages that caught my attention, one of which was identifying with our divinity does not mean the end of personal challenges and psychological struggles. So most of us believe that this, that this is true, that this could happen, that finding enlightenment or what we call enlightenment, awakening, freedom is a destination. So talk to me about that and how it's not really the, the truth. <laughs> well, the, the reality is that we live in uh, a world of delusion, right? There's separation, there's conflict, and how we respond and how we experience things within, how attached we are determines how much we're suffering or not. So you can be totally uh, free and realized, and yet you're still in the world. I mean, you're surrounded by people. 
uh, and people can treat you poorly. And if you're sensitive, you're going to feel it. But because you're more evolved, you don't act out and retaliate and try and hurt them back because you realize that's not going to accomplish anything. So it's kind of uh, an illusion. Some parts of the Christian community say, well, I accepted Jesus, so I'm free and it doesn't matter what I do. Well, I I think they're in for a rude awakening because it does matter what you do. Uh, Just because you're uh, now accepted this divine presence in your heart, it doesn't take you off the hook. Say, well, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You're now karma-free. Hopefully, you're inspired to live a better life and to serve people more, not to say, well, I'm a free agent now. I can do whatever I want and rip people off or be unkind. It doesn't matter. So being liberated and spiritually evolved doesn't mean that you can ignore who you are at other levels. If your personality is troubled, uh, you still have a personality. And if you've done no work on yourself and you tend to be very self-centered and selfish, even though you're spiritually aware, that's still going to come out. You'll just justify it different. You say, well, I'm so spiritual, it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. Wow, it's so true. And we have seen that happen many times with spiritual leaders, that they abuse their power in horrible ways. That's the place, right, Ronald, that they're coming from, the personality. That's that's right. In in my book, there is a section uh, that's called uh, Spiritual Development and Pathological Narcissism. And it's basically a study of a swami in a spiritual community that I was involved in for a while. And he basically was spiritually very evolved, but at a personality level, uh, damaged. And so he, he was hurting people, sexually acting out with the people in the community. And I talk about how you can have one level of development in your spiritual life But if you haven't done the work at a psychological level, you're going to pay a price for that. Mm. You need integration. Yeah, so true. Which goes back to the love factor inventory. You know, how integrated is your spiritual life? Right. You need all of that kind of integrated together. I agree. Yeah, beautiful work. What inspired you to become a psychologist? Uh, It was interesting. I was uh, in middle school. A teacher was doing a 20-minute conversation on psychology. She had made a a little inkblot, which is like like, like the Rorschach test. So she's talking about it, and I heard a voice. It's an inner voice that said, when you grow up, you will be a psychologist. So it kind of chose me. And in your book, you also say something that caught my attention very much. You're right. We can do more to help resolve problems when we learn to do less, wherein nothing becomes everything and something profound emerges when we work from the universally connected place of our being. That resonates so true. This idea of doing more doesn't resonate anymore. It's quite the opposite. It's unlearning. For me, it's still the case a lot of unlearning, undoing. So it's not adding, but doing less. So this is beautifully communicated, this message here. Uh, it, it kind of relates to your first question. Who, who am I? And I go, well, n- nobody. You know, that as 
And you've had the same experience. As I've learned to get myself out of the way and stop trying from my place of the ego, but actually functioning more from a place of prayer, of being inside and asking that these things, whatever it is I'm working on, come into manifestation if it's in harmony with, with the divine will. Things start to happen. So instead of running around going, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do that. You know, instead of running around like a chicken with my head cut off, you know, I've learned to quiet myself down, go into a deeper internal state that is more peaceful, visualize uh, what I want to happen, and feel that divine flow coming through me to make this thing manifest. And I've seen miraculous things happen that way. Uh, healing other people. When I used to be a psychologist, I did a lot of that energy work with people. Uh, or even when I did work in the peace world, if I had a project and I needed something to happen, I would sit and pray and be quiet. And all of a sudden, I meet somebody who introduces me to somebody, and this leads to that. And next thing I know, what I'm wanting is happening. That's interesting, the way you talk about prayer. Is that the same way you would describe meditation? Um, it, it it's all the same thing. I mean, prayer for me works best when I'm quiet and my mind is still and I'm filled with that inner love and connection and feeling very peaceful. Then I can ask for something or maybe visualize it. And to me, that, that's a prayer. I mean, prayer is a, a conscious thought. You know, in my experience is the more selfless The prayer is the more it's for serving humanity, uh, the more effective it is. So we're almost at the end. I want to thank you again for your presence, the beautiful work you do, healing others, and for being open to life. So before I ask you my final questions, would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book? Well, I looked at my book this morning, and in the introduction, it kind of speaks to what we were just talking about. First uh, paragraph of the introduction. This book is about the profound healing that occurs when spirit and the ancient wisdom of spiritual traditions are consciously brought into our lives. The current crisis in our American healthcare system makes this information even more timely for healthcare practitioners, patients, and non-patients alike. The focus of this book transcends any specific form of medical or psychological treatment. The theory and techniques presented here are designed to transform consciousness, which leads to spiritual realization and healing at the most profound level of our being. Furthermore, the overriding theme throughout is that our consciousness is the most potent ingredient in any healing and our interconnectedness with spirit can result and a direct transmission of subtle energy that is potentially life-changing. Last sentence. Whether or not this is accepted professionally, the truth remains. The power in our consciousness, when united with the divine, is unlimited. Thank you so much again, Ronald. I love that the introduction. Yeah, I did read that too. So my last questions, uh, I'll ask three of them. I just have too many here. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Well, my life, you know, I'm 74, just turned 74. 
had uh, had different careers, different things, and the worldly definition of success is around money and power. That no longer speaks to me much. I mean, fortunately, I have enough money to live on, and I don't have to worry about that. But you know, I'm not a multi-billionaire, and certainly not a billionaire. Um, so success for me is how much peace and love do I have in my life, and am I able to help other people? Uh, if I feel like I'm being productive and helping make the world a better place and helping to reduce suffering, and personally, I'm feeling connected with the divine and I'm having peaceful, loving days, then I think I'm having a good life. And two more questions. What is another word for healing? I think wholeness, because when we're whole, healing happens. Dis-ease, if you break it into the two words, is that there's a lack of balance, whether it's physiologically, biologically, psychologically, things aren't in balance. And when we get everything in balance and we feel whole, then everything kind of settles into place and healing happens. I mean, if you have time for a story, there's a great Native mm -hmm, American yeah. story about this uh, Native American who he, he makes rain, right? And so this one tribe was in a huge drought, so they asked the guy to come in. So he shows up, and sure enough, you know, everything is very dry. So he goes into a teepee, doesn't say anything to anybody. He just sits there for three days. And day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, clouds start to come in. And and then it starts raining. And it comes out. And the people in the tribe say, what did you do? He says, well, it was really simple. I showed up, and I could feel how things were out of harmony here. They were out of balance. So I went in, and all I did was spend time to get myself back into a state of wholeness and balance. And then the natural course of events was for it to rain. What are three things about life you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body? No one's ever asked me that question. Uh, three things before they lose the body. Well, I think the, the, the first important one is uh, the direct realization of their true nature, which we can call the soul. I mean, that's the greatest gift. Psychology talks about authenticity So that's from a kind of a psychological place of speaking the truth, but the soul is the most authentic expression of oneself. So I would say the most important thing that one could experience, my greatest gift to somebody would be to help them have direct realization of their soul. I think another thing which would make their life feel productive is to know what their life purpose is. So not only do they have a real authentic connection to self, but they realize what they're here on earth for. So they can kind of organize their life around that principle and stay on track and do what they're here to accomplish, whatever that, that may be. So there's two. And then I think I would say you know, if someone was fortunate enough to have a, a, a true experience of loving another human being this is aside from god realization right that loving another human being uh selflessly where they really care 
uh, about someone else's well-being more than their own. Uh, I, I think that's a very wonderful gift to have. Thank you so much again for sharing your wisdom, for being open to life uh, and everything else that could be felt today. Thank you so much, Ronit, for your presence. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, two places. Uh, one website called ronman.com, just my name, R-O-N-M-A-N-N.com. That site's been around for a long time, and it has all of the consciousness, my books, uh, articles, meditation programs that I've created. There's just a ton of information there. So I, I would go there. And then uh, more recently, the lovefactorinventory.com site has this uh, instrument, this assessment for personal development for individuals and couples. Uh, those are the two best places to go. Wonderful. I'll have those two links on your podcast profile as well. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Ronald. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Ronald Mann and his work, please visit ronmann.com and lovefactorinventory.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.